Angela Jung is a reporter with Global News VC. She is the first broadcast journalist that I'm welcoming to Rachel Thexton Connects. And I'm proud and honored to do so, as I've known Angela for several years. She's a multimedia journalist who really forges her way in the journalism space, doing what she needs to do to get to that next level in her career, something I respect greatly. She has worked as an anchor, a reporter, an assignment editor. She has worked in various parts of the country and for various outlets. Today, I know you will enjoy my conversation with the Global News BC reporter, Angela Jung, on Rachel Thexton Connects. Okay, so today on the podcast, I am excited to have someone from the broadcast news world. I've had media on the podcast in the past, but from the print and digital space and not from the broadcast world, which is a very, very active world, especially over at Global News BC, uh, where they are very, very busy and uh, their broadcast is know how the rankings are today, but last time I checked up, very, very top. So I would like to welcome to the podcast today, Global News BC reporter, Angela Jung. Welcome to the podcast, Angela. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. I'm very excited to have this discussion with you. Yes, me too. Um, Angela and I were just chatting years ago, over a decade, well over a decade ago. Angela would come out to uh, some of the PR events that I would host when she was kind of getting started, you know, in the journalism space. And I, I was just saying how I watched her kind of climb the journalism ladder so successfully. And it was just so cool to watch. And she's so good at what she does. So it's just a pleasure and honor to have her here today. Um, so I'm going to start off by asking you a little bit about kind of your career path. So you're currently a broadcast reporter at Global News BC, but you have had several roles throughout your journalism career. Uh, you've worked with CTV and others. Can you tell me a bit about your journey and kind of your career path to, to where you are today, Angela? Well, buckle up, Rachel, because my path getting to Global BC was not straight and narrow. I definitely did take some detours to get back here. So I was very fortunate that my first job, one day after I crossed the stage and I graduated BC's broadcast journalism program, I got a phone call from the news director at Global Okanagan, and I was offered a part-time summer job, and I took whatever I could get. Okay. So I accepted, and it was just guaranteed for the summer as a okay. reporter, and I had never lived anywhere outside of Vancouver. So it was very exciting. I was so glad that I took that opportunity because there was movement in the newsroom. And because of that movement, I got a full-time job working as the South Okanagan Bureau reporter. Wow. Okay. So that's a pretty big kind of first gig. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in school, I was told, over and over again, you're going to have to go to a small town to build your skills, to really hone that craft. And I just felt so grateful that my first job out of school was in the South Okanagan. What a beautiful place to live. Yes. And how did you find what was the environment there like compared to here? I mean, did you find it slow paced? Did you find it? What was your experience like when you first arrived there? Well, 
over the summer, it was kind of what most people are probably familiar with. It's very lively. There's so many people there. But as soon as September 1st hits after the Labor Day long weekend, it's like tumbleweeds. It was very slow pace afterwards. Right. So good time for me to pitch a, a story. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I really tried to immerse myself in the community. I joined Toastmasters. I joined a couple of community musicals. Wow. And <laughs> yes, and I definitely made some lifelong friends. So it was great. But after three and a half years, I felt like it was time to move on. And so I saw an opportunity at CTV Edmonton. The job title was digital journalist. And during my time at Global Okanagan, that's when the digital first mindset started kicking in. This was over a decade ago. So at that point, I think the industry knew that everyone was starting to consume Mm -hmm. news online first. So the job title was digital journalist, but I did mostly broadcast journalism, um, on-air reporting, but I did do some online writing as well. Okay, so you were kind of at that beginning of the digital evolution. Yes, because I had online writing in my resume, I saw I was at CTV Edmonton for two years. And even though I loved living in Edmonton, it blew my expectations away. And I made lifelong friends, um, many of whom were invited to our wedding. So I definitely am so grateful for my experience there. But after two years, I, I wanted to come home. So I saw the first opportunity, which was a part-time web writing role at CTV Vancouver. So I was only guaranteed 16 hours a week working the weekends as a web writer. But I decided to take that leap because after five years of being away, I just wanted to come back to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah, but luckily... Um, the news director knew that I can also report on air. So I got on air reporting shifts. I luckily got 40 hours a week. So I didn't have to be a starving artist in Vancouver. But it was definitely a risk at first, but I'm glad I took it. And during my time at CTV Vancouver, I got so many different experiences. I, even though I started off as a web writer, I did on-air reporting. And then there was a mat leave opportunity, which I took and I anchored the weekends. But it wasn't just anchoring. It was also producing and assignment editing. It was a, yeah, a gamut of different roles. There was that transition where wow. many reporters Uh, are also in front of the camera and behind the camera. So I would also shoot and edit and web write, just really working on my craft and honing various skills. And now, most recently, as you mentioned, I am working at Global BC. So it's a full circle moment for me. I've always wanted to come to Global, so I'm really happy I'm here now. Yes, congratulations. It sounds like you're the type of person who really, you know, you take your career into your own hands. You don't, you don't wait for things to drop on your lap. You kind of, you know, you look for the opportunities, you jump at them, wherever they are, whatever they are, you take them. You agree with that? And I make my own opportunities. 
So the reason why I actually got anchoring shifts when I was in Edmonton was because while I was in the Okanagan, I asked the producer and the producer is actually based in the Burnaby newsroom. So I asked the producer, hey, can you please record me reading a couple of intros to stories? And I made my own demo reel. And so in that demo reel, it had me anchoring. And so the news director in Edmonton thought I actually anchored and I got some backfill anchoring shifts when I was in Edmonton. Actually, my first month that I was in Edmonton, I was anchoring. Wow. Uh, and that may have done, I know we're jumping a little bit ahead here, but you mentioned that you used to want to be a broadcast reporter as a child. So maybe that's all the practice that you did kind of practicing, imagining being an anchor as a child. I don't know who knows, maybe all that may be paid off. Yeah, I didn't know I wanted to be an anchor. But I think when I saw people on TV who looked like they could be me, it definitely did spark that interest. But for the longest time, I actually wanted to be a newspaper writer. I want to be a newspaper journalist. And then that evolved. And I wanted to be a roving reporter. I wanted to be a community reporter. And that's how we really met because I was interning for the morning show. And I thought I wanted to do more fun stories. But thanks to that internship, I learned that that wasn't something I found fulfilling. And then I switched to news. And that's how I really got my teeth into it. Okay. And what is it about TV? Because you know, I work in PR, I counsel people on how to be in front of the camera, but the thought of being in front of the camera myself um, makes my stomach turn. And some people are just so natural, you know, you're natural at it, you seem very at ease. What is it about TV news that ended up kind of really being your place versus uh, print or digital? It's an interesting story because I didn't always know, as I mentioned, that I wanted to be on TV, but I had met somebody who said, hey, why don't you just try out, go in front of the camera, see if you even like it, see if you're comfortable, and then go from there. This was when I was in university before I went into BCIT's broadcast journalism program. And I remember it was 2010, I grabbed uh, an old high school friend who had a camera and every and the whole setup and of course the city was so vibrant because of the olympics and i just went there out there and i talked to strangers which i now know the term in the industry is called streeters i was doing streeters before i even knew i wanted to be a reporter and i had my own youtube channel and i just started chatting with people and it felt so fun to meet all these different people and talk to them in a different space do you think that your employers uh kind of recognize all of these i don't want to say small because they're not small but all these kind of meaningful side hustles that you were doing to try to improve your craft and try to really practice and and hone your skills and and that was maybe part of you know why they really looked at you and said I think this is the one that we want to hire I didn't tell anybody <laughs> that I used to do YouTube stuff because it's so amateur <laughs> that and and if I look at my old my old videos I would cringe so that is something I'm don't speak about a lot um but I think because I've always been ambitious and the fact that I've always carved my own path and I'm 
created my own opportunities. I think that translates into my work ethics. And I think that's how my new managers were able to recognize my skills and that I'm an asset. I, I totally can see that. I mean, I, I would imagine that the space is quite competitive, especially now. Uh, and for you to continue to um, land these uh, impressive roles that you obviously clearly deserve, uh, you must be doing something right. I want to ask you about something that really stood out to me, um, and I'll tell you why in a second, but you mentioned uh, in your bio that Connie Chung, and I remember her well, uh, was a role model for you, uh, even as a young girl. Uh, tell me about what you saw in this journalist that made you feel like you wanted to pursue a career in journalism and, and why she was such a role model to you. Well, growing up in the 90s, there weren't that many Asian females in pop culture on television. And my family has always been news junkies. We would get the Vancouver Sun every morning. My parents would always turn on the TV to watch news. And so to see an Asian female on the screen and on major American networks, I mean, at the time, I didn't know what stations they were, but just to see that, it was very inspiring. And it made me think, huh, maybe it's something maybe this space is okay for me. Like maybe I would be welcomed in this space too. And so seeing is really believing. And that was always in the back of my mind. I didn't, it, it, it's kind of a memory that I had forgotten about and filed away. But when my older cousin saw me after a few years of being in the industry, she reminded me and said, hey, when you were a kid, you would tell people, when I grow up, I'm going to be Connie Chung. And it's so interesting because as kids, we all say the darnest things. And I don't know how many actually go on to fulfilling that dream. And so when she mentioned that, I said, oh, yeah, I did say that. I did go around telling people I was going to be her one day. Yeah, I think that's that's really meaningful. And I mean, I think it's it's we've there's been some discussion about this, but I love that example. My my oldest son, um, well, all my three children are biracial, but my oldest son um is is I guess what you would call visibly biracial. When you look at him, he has dark skin, he is um African, Caribbean, Canadian. And when he saw Miles Morales as an African American, he became a huge Spider-Man fan. He was not before because he saw himself that he could be Spider-Man. Um, and so I think those things, it just goes to show how important it is to have that high level of diversity in all areas of entertainment and for youth. Um, it can really, you know, who knows if if you had not seen that, how that would have Connie Chung as a, as a, as a mentor, maybe you would have still ended up in journalism and things would have stayed the same. Maybe they wouldn't have. It's interesting to kind of think about how diversity plays a role and seeing that role model and how that can really change and give you that boost of confidence. Yeah, that's why in so many major spaces, I like the fact that they make the effort to have more representation because diversity really does matter. It does. It does. Uh, everywhere, uh, especially obviously in British Columbia, but everywhere. Uh, so journalism has been going through challenging times. It's not not a secret. The rise of digital um Sadly, I don't know. I think journalism journalism was a little bit late to kind of jump on board. They have done a phenomenal job now jumping on board, and I'm, you know, furious with these this meta uh, regulation that is really 
you know, making things challenging. But as you've kind of gone through the last few years and seen journalists either be laid off or decide to leave the field, maybe they're going into communications or digital, why have you decided to not do so and to stay in that journalism space and really try to continue to make a name for yourself and and develop your skills, which you've done? Well, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't thought about it. It's kind of hard not to think about it when I see former colleagues make that switch. Um, In my BCIT class, I think there are only a handful of us left. Yeah, there are only just a few of us left in the industry. Many of them have already gone to communications, marketing, PR, they had made that switch a long time ago. But for me, when I would see them again, or when I would bump into my old colleagues, I would ask, like, are you happier here? Um, How did you know you wanted to make the switch? And for them, it was very obvious. For me, I haven't ever had that moment where I felt like I was at a crossroads. I still love what I do. The fact is when I wake up, I don't know what I'm going to do that day. I don't know who I'm going to talk to. I don't know what story I'm going to be put on. And even if I do find out, that may change two or three times that day. And do you find that exciting? Not stressful? I would think it would be exciting. But how do you feel about it? Absolutely. I do find it exciting. And that's another reason why I like chasing breaking news. I like being one of the first ones on the scene, trying to gather as much information as I can and just bringing out that information. And I think, especially during the pandemic, we were called essential workers. Journalists were considered heroes at the time, bringing information to the masses when people needed it most. And it just reinforced to me why our jobs are so important. Yes. I've said this in other episodes is that I don't think people who are not involved in the communications or journalism space realize what's at stake. And that if we lost true authentic journalism, what we would be losing and the, the, the amazing, I mean, it's just such a vital part of our society, holding those accountable, delivering information, uh, you know, entertaining, providing, you know, stories, inspiration, all of those things. And, you know, I think that people really need to, you know, there, there seems to be sometimes this, you know, oh, the media can be this or that with some negative connotations. And I always get very defensive um, around journalists. I, I, I study journalism, maybe that's part of it, but it's also because I work with journalists so often, I see them as amazing humans that work their butts off uh, to provide us with the information that we need. Uh, And it's just, it's such a, like I say, such a vital role of keeping the wheels of society turning in a way that is productive. So stick with it, please. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's great that you're with Global because they're so fantastic. Iron MacArthur, I was on a story with a few weeks ago. I've worked with him for, you know, on various stories over the years. And, you know, it was just great to see that they had, they seemed to have resources. They had a, you know, a cameraman with him. He was excellent. He brought out a ton of, you know, great technology to capture the story. And then Aaron was able to be the reporter. And it was, you know, it was nice to see, a feature story being done in the way that I remember it being done 15 years ago. You know what I mean? So 
I, I think that's a, a nice thing about being with a, a broadcast like Global News BC that's, that's that's doing so well. So congratulations. So since you have uh, started your role at Global, tell me how it's been going, how you've been enjoying it. Oh, I love it. The fact that so many of the people I work with in the newsroom now are people that I've met along my journalism career. Back when I was at Global Okanagan, I know so many of the people. The fact that they're still there at Global BC is a testament to how well people are being treated in that newsroom. And the industry is so small. I, I know so many people who are working there now and everyone's just so great. Everyone is working so hard to try to deliver the news as quickly and as accurately to the public as possible because we not only do we have the major newscasts, but we also have BC1. And so it is great to be part of that. Right. Tell us about BC1. Who, whoever is in, our listeners aren't aware of it. Can you just describe what BC One is? It's a 24-hour news um, news show on Global. And when there are major press conferences, you can watch the entire press conference on there. Um, whenever there's breaking news, the information will be on there too. It's like watching a regular newscast, but constantly, and the information will get updated. So you're getting the latest news when you need it. Wow. So it's it's sort of like uh, journalism's version of social media in a way, 24-7. Yes. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Okay. I've, I've never thought of it that way. Uh, Angela, tell me about the stories because, you know, there's a lot of, when I spoke with Lori Colbert of the Vancouver Sun, she described her experiences and, you know, some of the challenges and the features she does. And, and, and I've experienced this not in ever practicing because I have never practiced journalism, but in studying it. Um, there must be stories that are more challenging to do than others. Maybe ones where you have opinions, where it pulls out your heart, um, ones that are more enjoy enjoyable to you, that bring you excitement, that are kind of more easygoing. Can you talk a little bit about the stories that you really love to cover and also some that maybe are more challenging? You don't have to speak in specifics. You can if you'd like. I really enjoy covering court. I like covering court stories. I think that goes down to how I enjoy covering breaking news um, and also crime stories. But being in court, it's really, it's like seeing the story through, even though it can take years sometimes for something to go through the court system. But if once I'm able to follow a story from when something very tragic happened to someone getting charged and then seeing that go in the court system and then the family getting a resolution, some sort of closure, it's really fulfilling to be a part of that story and to bring attention to that story. And I've had people tell me, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're bringing awareness to this and that you're covering this. So I really enjoy covering court stories. And then on the other side, I also really like doing fun feature stories and doing lighter stories too. But there really isn't a type of story that I don't like doing except, oh, maybe a story that would require a lot of math. <laughs> I do not like math. That's why Have I write. a story that requires a lot of math? Not really, but... Oh no, I hope we're not jinxing you. <laughs> <laughs> I would try to avoid doing number stories. What about the emotional pull, though? So, do, so how do you separate your emotions from the story? Because obviously you're presenting a balanced um, view of things, um, factual. Uh, my problem with never being able to be a journalist was that I always wanted to put my own opinion in everything, which is not a good journalist at all. So how do you 
keep your emotions and your point of views out of the pieces as much as possible, as much as you can do as a human being. Well, I would rely on the people in the stories to give their expertise, to give their opinions. Yeah. And I'm just there to bring it all together. Um, Of course, everyone would have their own opinions and biases, but my job is really to be as objective as possible and just to present the information. It just comes like second nature now because I've been doing it so long. And I actually surprise myself sometimes, even though I may have an opinion on something, but after speaking to somebody else, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. And so that's what I really like about my job is I'm constantly learning and challenging my own beliefs. Yeah, that's really neat. And I love how you say that, that you rely on the sources and you are in essence, the conduit of that information. And that's a a great way to kind of look at things and present them factually is relying on those strong sources to kind of present to essentially present, present their story via you, which is neat. Now I imagine through your career uh, you've had, you mentioned Connie Chung as a young person, um, but I'm wondering about kind of later in life, once you've started your career, if you had any mentors, if you're, or if you've received any kind of special pieces of advice from journalists who have have been in the field for quite some time along the way that have helped you and helped to guide you. And if you could tell us a bit about that. Okay, I'll start with the piece of advice and then I'll tell you about some of the mentors. So this was more of an unsolicited advice, but I'm really glad that I got it. Very, very, very early on in my career, I was told that I needed to change the way I sounded. I need to, to lower my voice by an entire octave. My first reaction was, how is that even possible? How can I change my voice to an enti- to lower it entire octave? It seemed impossible. Wow. But at that point in my career, I was told I looked too young. I sounded too young. And on one hand, there was a part of me that resisted it, thinking, well, this is who I'm not. I am. I'm not going to change who I am. Um, and I didn't believe that everyone should be a cookie cutter reporter. And there was no way I was ever going to have a baritone voice. It just wasn't going to be physically possible. No, no. But I did take that advice and I got voice lessons. And how does that look? I mean, basically, they're called voice lessons, but it was just teaching how I breathe. So in in like a casual setting, uh, my voice is going to sound higher because I'm breathing from my chest. But if I want that tone to be warmer and deeper, then I would just be breathing from my diaphragm. And I'm really glad that I got that advice because I could have let my ego get in the way, but that would have just held me back. And I won't say who, but um, in another newsroom, I was told, oh, oh yes, I had mentioned I sang in musicals. So because I had a solo in one of the musicals, I was taking additional singing lessons. And after that, one of my bosses said, oh, yeah, I noticed that in your standups, your voice sounds a lot deeper. Um, Yeah, I guess your singing lessons are working. You know, that's one of the reasons why I didn't have you anchor because I thought your voice was too high. Well, I wish he would have just told me that because then I would have known that that's something I could work on. Whereas very, very, very early in my career, somebody did say, hey, you need to lower your voice. That's a really interesting comment because, you know, I've had telemarketers call and I've answered the phone and they've asked from, can I speak to your mother? 
because when I answer the phone, I, I guess I have a, a younger voice, like a softer voice. Um, so I relate to that. And I'm wondering if there's ways in which I can work on my voice tone uh, in my business place. So that's a really interesting comment and piece of advice. Oh, I mean, on YouTube, you can just look it up. You can do voice exercises online. If I'm, I'm sure you can find things. Yeah, I, th- I think I will. On the podcast, it's a bit easier because we have great sound and, you know, it's an informal discussion. But, uh, you know, in the workplace and obviously on on news, uh, when you're, you know, people are looking at you for information they're relying on. Anyway, continue on because I want to hear about uh, mentors and any other advice you've received. Throughout my career, every single time I go to a new newsroom, I would gravitate towards the female journalists, especially the ones who had been there for a long time, just to know exactly how they were able to do it, to be there for so long, especially that work-life balance, how they were able to balance it. And I am always floored by how generous people are with their time and their willingness to answer questions and to be a mentor. So I don't have one specific mentor but in just every single newsroom i've i've just always talked to a female journalist and eventually we go from that mentor mentee relationship to friends yeah it sounds like you've had a really positive experience in really kind of forming this camaraderie and network within within the newsrooms that have really helped you along the way yes and so many people just want to lift each other up even though i know the stereotype is that this can be very competitive but a lot of time people are very willing to help. Yeah, I'm surprised by that too. We kind of expect that they're busy, and but often, yes, they are keen, especially when they see talent, you know, young talent and wanting to um, be able to provide some support to that talent. As a PR professional, I have to ask you about this. What doesn't work for you and what does work for you when it comes from pitches from marketing, PR, communications? I know, and I'm well aware Uh, and I apologize for this, that there are a lot of poor marketing communications professionals. I hope that I'm not on that list. I trust that I'm not. Uh, But I know that you probably get pitches invited to events in Toronto when you live in Vancouver, or you get angles that are not relevant to your community or your audience. Tell me what works, what doesn't work, any tips that you have for, you know, communicators that are pitching you ideas. Rachel, how did you know that happens? Yeah. I still get emails for events that are happening in Toronto or more specifically in my case, mm-hmm. Edmonton too. Mm-hmm. Because they do the blanket pitching. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if they just Googled, they would see, I no longer live in Edmonton. I no longer work for an Edmonton newsroom. It would be so easy just to do that. Um. So that is definitely something that doesn't work in a pitch when it's clear that the person who is pitching isn't aware of my work or even where I'm located. So on the flip side, what does work is I've had pitches in which it's clear that the person had seen a previous story I had done, saw that I was interested in this topic, and then pitched something similar. So that always works. Or things that are timely or and also it helps when the pitch also mentions, hey, there is this person who is willing to speak on this issue. Because we always want to hear about the human side. And we want to hear from the person who is impacted. Right. So offering you the source that's impacted right off the bat. So you know you have that available to you. 
Yes, if I choose to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts? Um, you're right in the middle of this. Um, when, when I say this, I mean, you're on the front lines of journalism in our city today at a top broadcaster. Do you have any ideas on ways in which journalism can thrive and secure longevity? Because, you know, we all want it to. Well, I hope most of us do. Uh, any thoughts on that? I know it's a tough question because I'm sure if someone knew the golden answer, it would have been executed. But do you have any thoughts on it? I think the fact that global isn't just on cable, but it's also on prime. The fact we also have a global TV app. Those are all the right steps. Um, I can't tell you how many times now this was never the case at the start of my career when people would actually say, hey, I don't have cable. Like, when can I see this online? But now this is something I would come across at least once a week. They would be so happy that I am doing a story and I'm bringing awareness to whatever they wanted to talk about. And yet they would tell me in that same breath that, hey, I don't have cable. So I think that the industry definitely does or has been actually pivoting and not just relying on audiences who have cable. We are we are online. We are on a streaming platform. We're also on an app. Yes. And it's kind of this misunderstanding that only young people are online, which is a, a myth. Yes. Although I do think we have more of a loyal audience amongst the older demographic. Yeah. I think that's what the, I can't remember now. I don't want to quote it, but I think that's what the recent muckwork study mm -hmm. uh, referenced was that people are very, very loyal to their, their evening news or their morning news, however they gather it via television. And that's something that's kind of a part of their ritual or routine. So yeah, that makes sense to me. Angela, tell me the media, I felt that the media was receiving unfair criticism. Um, and this was kind of as we entered into later levels or later stages of COVID. And there was a lot of division. We were talking fake news. We had Trump and all this mixed into the mix and lots of, you know, political uh, differences of opinion. And media seemed, in my opinion, to kind of take a lot of that in. And they were kind of seen as delivering inaccurate news and fake news and the enemy to some. And I saw it as the opposite, um, obviously. But have you encountered negative experiences with the public? And has any of that been tough to manage? I, and I know that that's improved. But during that time when things were especially challenging, when people were maybe in isolation at the, during those times? Yes, it's interesting because during the height of the pandemic, we were essential workers, but near the tail end, there was so much visceral. The fact that oh, when I was working downtown, there were freedom rallies and we had to have VPD, um, extra security around our building just in order for me to go into work safely. That is not okay. And most recently, I was at another rally and at the very start of the rally, one of the organizers got on the mic and said, there may be me mainstream media here. They did not name Global, uh, but they said, do not speak to them. And yes, like we're there to help amplify their voices, to share their message. And yet we were seen as the enemy. And that was something I had never experienced before. That says something. Yes, I think it's when people uh, don't see what they want to see, even if they are the facts via the news, then the enemy then becomes the news, right? And the media. 
Um, and that's nothing to do with the media and the work they're doing, but more to do with the fact that um, those individuals would rather see their perspectives and views as facts on news. But that that must be tough at times. And security for journalists, um, I mean, it's just such a outlandish idea, but the fact that it's had to happen is very unfortunate. I hope that that is not a, a something that continues makes you uncomfortable, kind of takes you out of your space, I would think, of of being very focused in on what you should be, which is the news and kind of, it's it's distracting, is it not? Uh, it also felt good that our safety was being taken seriously, that when I saw the officers there, I was like, okay, I'm good, I'll, I'll be safe. Mm-hmm. But I also wondered those people who didn't trust what the news was saying, whether or not they were actually watching the news, because I think Global's coverage has been very fair and has shown a lot of different sides. So if they had seen it, maybe they would have felt differently. And I think that's what's so dangerous now. There's so much misinformation out there. People can easily get their news on social media despite the meta ban, which (laughs) is a whole different topic. But yeah, it's very polarizing these days. Yes. And that's a good question. I, are they watching the news and just ticked off that they're not seeing their extreme opinion? Or are they or extreme and maybe my opinion, I have to be fair and saying that they, you know, would not think it's extreme? Um, or are they not watching it? And are they not seeing the balance that is being presented? That's a good point. In the journalism space, or let's just say in your career, if you could kind of wave that wand um and five years from now put yourself in a position in the journalism world what would it be i have always been interested in long-form journalism um i had interned at w5 many 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 years ago so i've always been interested in doing investigative long-form journalism So five years from now, I'd hope to still be working at Global. And even though there isn't a current affair show right now, hopefully there will be. Um, Maybe I'll have a couple of stories on Crime Beat, or maybe I'll have a couple of stories on whatever the new current affair show is. That's what I would like to be doing. But I would still like to do daily news and reporting. I think that I love that. And I think investigative, um, if they're able, if global is able to produce something would be fantastic. I mean, you think of it, there's the topics, the scammers that are calling, you know, trying to really get to the bottom of where, who are these people? Where are they? How can we make this stop taking advantage of so many new Canadians and elderly population who may not have the the knowledge of what's happening with these these scammers calling them and the issues go on and on. But I can see why you'd want to do that and you'd be very good at it. So just a little tip, global, global. This is an awesome idea. <laughs> Maybe five years down the road, we can make it happen. They can make it happen and you can make it happen. So I, Angela, at the end of all of my conversations, always ask my guests about their favorite nonprofits. Um, are there any local nonprofits that are especially important to you that you want to highlight today to kind of bring awareness to them and people can donate if they're able? I know that this has been mentioned before on your podcast, but especially with the holidays around the corner. And when I think about the holidays, I think about a big feast with my family and friends. And unfortunately, for those who have fallen on hard times, that's just not possible. So if 
someone listening would like to donate, I would highly encourage them to donate to the food bank. There is a food bank in every community, and it would just mean so much for those who are struggling right now just to have that comfort. And on the flip side, there has been an abundance of abandoned pets. So I have done a few stories at various um, animal protection societies and the SBCA about all they're going through. And I get emails almost every week now from the SBCA saying, I have this animal came in and this animal needs surgery. Um, So for animal lovers listening, I implore you to donate to an animal protection society or the SBCA. There are so many out there and they're all doing fantastic work. I think those are both both great ones. Uh, excellent, excellent ones. And very, very timely, of course, given um, you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening. So I think those are great. I'll link to, to both of them during the episode. Angela, thank you so much. You are a very busy woman providing news via television, online, uh, important news that we need daily. And uh, thank you for your work. Thank you for being here today and for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. Congratulations on what you have built here. It definitely takes a lot of courage. And thank you for flipping the mic on me. It's been very fun. Yeah, it's fun to do that with journalists. I love it. So thank you for sharing. It's really been been amazing. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You're listening to Rachel Thexton Connects.